this is, again, the sense of things not being given to the reader fast enough, like it's in the wrong order. Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time, and this is a Hack the Craft episode. Woohoo! It's a Hack the Craft episode, so that means that after almost an entire show of chit-chat last week, we're going to get right to the meat of things this week. This piece was sent in by Amelia Zeland, and... She has been writing as a hobby and posting on Wattpad for a few years. And after she finished her first, her second book there, she decided to take things professionally. And so she rewrote the first book, got it edited, and was about to hit publish at the time that she submitted this. At the time that the material came in, I told her, you know, we've got a big backlog right now. It's going to be some, quite a bit of time before we actually get a chance to do it on the show. But I sent her the first version, the, the notes, which is going to be the bulk of what we do in this show here. So you can see the feedback that she got. And then she sent me a rewrite and we'll work from there on the next show. But it has since been published. Before so. you get started, I forgot to give our normal disclaimer. This is also being recorded in video and you can see the video where, Taylor? On patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. And if you go to posts, depending on what time it is that you see this. Um, it'll be either the most recent post, or if you look down the side, you'll see some tabs, um, some tags, and just look for the Hack the Craft shows. And you do not have to have a Patreon account to view this video. It's, it's available, open to the public. So you just have to get there and see it. And I believe, Steve, you put the link in the show notes? I will, yes, as soon okay. as we get the video up. Awesome. So that's how to find it. Okay, so... Emmy is writing YA sci-fi that starts out on a post-apocalyptic Earth, but then moves into space. And the main character is 18, and she's guarded, she comes off as controlled, maybe a little cold, and that's all a result of how good she is at hiding her feelings. Her main issue is she's really looking for ideas on how to make the character shine through in, in this opening sequence. Now, what we're going to look at is the opening to the book. It's... It, it's not a chapter opening. It is the, how the book opens. And she, the, the story opens with the character looking at the night sky. And Emmy says that um, she, she's looking up at the night sky. She sees the space station above in lower Earth's orbit. And she wants to hint at how the character feels about it without telling the backstory or info dumping. But her problem is that she doesn't enjoy long description paragraphs. She usually doesn't start chapters with descriptions and she feels out of her depth and she also knows that the opening of a book is crucial it's a crucial moment that has to grab the reader's attention and it can't be boring and she needs to convey complex character emotions as well as the mysterious and alluring futuristic vibe that makes the reader want to keep on reading even though it's just a few sentences of description so that's what we're going with now, the material that was sent to me is relatively short. It's about 350 words. Thank you, Emmy, for, not, for only sending 350 words. And the reason I say thank you is because um, the longer a piece gets, the harder it is to fit it all into one show. Um, but because it's 350 words, we can actually read the material first and then go back and 
and look at the different issues versus having to chop it up as we go along, which gives us a much better sense of continuity and story and such. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and read that submitted material first, and then we're going to address what happens next. So Yelena peeked out of the transporter window at the twilight haze above. Even as the storm rolled in, dimming the lights of the few stars still visible after the quakes, the sky had its usual ghostly glow. Half hidden behind the white spiderweb cover of the clouds, the moon shone bright. What would she see that was new? The long oval shape of the space station spinning, no doubt. From here, it only seemed stuck, plastered like a neon figurine one could glue to the ceiling. Nothing new was up there. Just like looking up wouldn't evoke any emotion she hadn't felt before, only the same dull pang. Gazing up was emptiness, a question without an answer, so it was better to look down. Raindrops fell on her hair as soon as she stepped outside the transporter, but she didn't bother hiding under an umbrella. In this humidity, she would get drenched just by being outside. Her heels clicked every time she made a decisive step toward the house. Buonasera, or Buonasera, I don't know how to pronounce it. The compulsory greeting in Italian was polite and detached. The pair waiting in front of her house shared a confused look. Were they expecting something else? Hi, the taller one said. Blonde bangs fell in his eyes like he was set on reproducing a boy band look. Identical red uniforms, unfamiliar golden markings across the sleeves, and a greeting in English. Tourists or promoters. Yelena didn't twitch, taking a moment to place them. We're looking for Yelena Russo, he continued. Something stirred inside her, but Yelena pushed it down. She had met promoters before. Turning them down was easy, sending her signature snort their way, followed by a bored expression would suffice. It painted her as a stuck-up. It painted her as stuck-up, but why would that matter? She'd never stick around long enough to see their faces again. Still, this time, there was something unsettling in finding them at her doorstep. She wasn't someone they'd fished out of the crowd. She was a target, and that begged the question, could Adeline's cover have been blown? I'm afraid I must disappoint, Yelena swallowed. The tense look in her eyes must be giving her away. I'm not looking to buy. So that is the opening of the book. And um, so for me, again, it's, um, I want to be as helpful as possible to the author. And I'm looking at this from the perspective of also how to be helpful to those who are listening to the show. So whenever I get a piece like this, I'm looking at it both from the perspective of what I can give to the person who submitted it, as well as how does this fit in in the overall arc of material that we've already worked over. And in this piece, I feel like we need to take a step back and look at it big picture first, before we start looking at ways to line edit the, the various um, words on the page. And for me, as I read over this, the biggest, fo I feel, the biggest focus needs to be on the first opening paragraphs, because what we're starting with here isn't actually description. It is, and for lack of a better term, and I'm not trying to be unkind, and I'm not um, poking or being critical, it is that it's somewhat, it's, it's navel-gazing. It's just the closest description that I have for what we're experiencing here. And navel-gazing is sort of, I, I had to actually copy this from a dictionary to make sure that I got it right. It's a self-indulgent or excessive contemplation of oneself or a single issue at the expense of a wider view. 
Now, um, I have to backtrack here and say that Emmy is not writing in her native language. And I did not know that when I first started working on this piece because it doesn't come across in in the actual structure of word choices. It, 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 I honestly thought I was working with um, a native English speaker who maybe didn't have a proper grasp of sentence structure or whatever, which is very common even amongst native English speakers. So um, it, it also, when someone is not a native English speaker, we tend to see a lot more vagueness in, in word choices simply because they don't have the same extensive val uh, vocabulary that a native English speaker would have. And so we need to take all of that into account that when I start pointing out things, it is... Uh, someone who's, you know, I, I couldn't do this. I, there's no other language I could write in and even come close to this. So these are not criticisms of the person. We're not saying, oh, this person is dumb for doing this. It's none of that. It's just how can we make the writing stronger? And, and I just really want to be clear about that because I don't want it to come across as nitpicky or um, belittling in any way, shape, or form. So with that said... Um, in writing, navel gazing tends to show up as sort of a, a fake inner dialogue. And it comes about when the character is doing nothing or nothing of importance, just thinking to themselves, oh, how does this make me feel? Do I like this? What will I see? Etc. And that's never going to be the author's intent. What the author is trying to do is show a scene description using the character's thoughts as the vehicle for showing that scene. But Instead of establishing character or description or setting the scene, navel-gazing does the exact opposite. It, it pretends to give you something, it, it, but it gives you nothing, and it takes everything. So in these paragraphs, we get a lot of words, but we get no character, and we get no story movement. And we need movement. Something needs to happen. And the second issue with the opening paragraphs, which we can tackle more deeply and align it, is that we have multiple sentences that work backwards. So basically, the mind has to read the whole thing, get to the punchline, and then reorder things to get the mental picture. And one sentence like this will drag down an opening, but two is just going to kill it and screech it to a halt. And the third issue is that we have absolutely no idea what the character is doing or where she's going. There is no sense of time or space. So here are some things that we should know by the time we get to the first four paragraphs. Was she alone in the transporter? I mean, I can assume yes. But if there was no one else alone around her, we need to acknowledge that she was alone. And because that's texture, that's story detail. If there were others with her, we need to know that too, so that we can place their bodies and give them the texture. And the scene's missing, like, a lot of little details, stuff that will make the mental pictures more vivid. And it's not that description is missing is that the details are missing. Is she returning home? From where? What was she doing before she came home? Why is she returning home? Is it the end of her work or study day? Is she tired? Is she hungry? We don't need to know those details per se. Like They don't have to show up on the page, but she knows them. The character knows them. And that's going to affect her mood. It's going to affect how she feels. And by actually being inside the character's mind, everything she knows is going to come out in her thoughts and her actions and her interactions with other characters. And it's going to give the scene an entirely different texture, and it's going to actually feel real. And right now, we don't get any of that. We have no clue. We don't know where we are. We know nothing. 
And it's like we 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 don't know we don't have a sense of even who this character is. And so as the paragraphs follow, there's there's these flow issues where whatever is in the author's head, it never actually made it to the page. And so what that creates is a scene where something maybe is sort of happening, but we have no idea where. We have no sense, uh, no touchstone, nothing we can actually touch our hands to and go, oh, okay, now I'm grounded and let's move on from there. So I more or less sent that to the author so that she got a sense of that. And then I sent a, um, a markup saying specifically so she could understand what I was talking about, showing the parts. So that's what we're going to move on to next. And as we move on, there are a couple sentence that, sentences that are, are written backwards. I have changed those now in, the, um, in this draft so that we can see them, but it's not the same thing that the author got. And I did, I'm doing this now for the show. And the reason it's important to highlight that is because I do get a rewrite from the author and it doesn't match what we're going to see here. And I don't want that to come back on them as if she did something wrong. She didn't. So anyway, moving along now. So it starts, Yelena peeked out of the transporter window at the twilight haze above. Even as the storm rolled in, dimming the lights of the few stars still visible after the quakes, the sky had its usual ghostly glow. And that sentence there, even as the storm rolled in, that's the first sentence that works itself backwards. And the reason it works itself backwards is because the whole point of those visuals is to show us the sky. Even as the storm rolled in, it's not telling us about the storm. I mean, it is, but it's all pointing to the fact that the sky had its usual ghostly glow. So we need that first. That's, that's the punchline that everything is getting to. So we would write it as if we use the exact same words and didn't change anything, the sky had its usual ghostly glow, even as a storm rolled in, dimming the few stars still visible after the quakes. It's all exactly the same words, just in a different order. Half hidden behind the white spider web cover of the clouds, the moon shone bright. That's the second sentence that works itself backwards. And so it's the sentence, the description is pointing us towards the moon. We need that at first. The moon shone bright, half hidden behind the white spider web cover of the clouds. And then this creates now a, um, an image issue where we have the haze, which is a ghostly glow, and a bright shining moon. So we can have a bright moon or we can have a hazy ghostly glow, but we can't have both. And if we have a haze, we're not going to see any stars. The whole point of these sentences is to show us what the sky looks like, and instead we have no actual sense of what the sky looks like. So now we have Yelena's thoughts again going, what would she see that was new? That's nasal, navel gazing. The next sentence says, the long oval shape of the space station spinning, no doubt. From here, it only seems stuck, plastered like a neon figurine one could glue to the ceiling. Now, that's actual description. But because it's sandwiched between navel-gazing, it turns into navel-gazing. Um, I mean, I jumped too far. Okay. Nothing new was up there. Just like looking up wouldn't evoke any emotion she hadn't felt before only the same dull pang. Gazing up was emptiness, a question without answer, so it was better to look down. That is also navel-gazing. It doesn't actually um, 
tell us anything because we have no sense of who this character is. We have no idea where she is. We have no idea what she's doing. And so all we hear is these thoughts, this, this, this kind of um, murky, cloudy thing that we can't actually get a picture of what it is. Raindrops fell on her hair as soon as she stepped outside the transporter, but she didn't bother hiding under an umbrella. I marked out as soon as because these are elements are backwards. As soon as is joining them backwards. Somebody needs to step outside before the raindrops can fall on their hair. In this humidity, she would get drenched just by being outside. Her heels clicked every time she made a decisive step towards the house. So here, at the end of the first four paragraphs, we finally get some movement. It's the first time we have any sense of where this body is within time and space. And we begin to understand that the transporter is outside a home and that she's on her way to that house. But having her look at the sky, there was nothing at all to give us a sense that the transporter is even on the ground versus traveling through the air. And there's nothing in these four paragraphs to give us any sense of where we are, which is why it's all navel gazing. And we also need to know how long before we get to this point that she's returning to her own home. I'm sorry, we need to know long, long before we get to this point, because that will ground us as to, to what's going on. So then we have this greeting, Buona Sera. The compulsory greeting in Italian was polite and detached. This is a disembodied voice. Who said this to who? So the character makes these decisive steps towards the house, and then what? What does she see? She may see a pair standing there, although she might see them. We, the reader, see absolutely nothing because we're not given that information until after somebody starts talking. And then magically, someone is on her doorstep and they are the ones confused? No. The, the readers are confused because we have no idea. So the next sentence says, the pair waiting in front of her house shared a confused look. But why? Like, I don't get it, right? It's, it, there's, the information is missing. So now with this sentence, we finally learn where she is. She's returning home. And we need this information much, much sooner to give some sense of context to the early, earlier part of the scene. Because if you have two people waiting on your doorstep for you when you return home, that is completely different than seeing two people waiting on a doorstep that you're approaching right? One is creepy. The other is, oh, okay, maybe they belong there. But the reader isn't getting that information early enough to be able to get it. So we're like playing catch up here of, of like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. And that just creates a very, very rough reading experience. So the next a sentence says, were they expecting something else? And these are all anchoring and flow issues because there's nothing leading up to this point that gives the reader any indication of where we are in time and space. And I know I've said like a billion times, but I'm just reading off my notes here. So forgive me for belaboring the point. So based on everything above with the navel gazing, the impression first is that the transporter's flying, then that it's arrived somewhere familiar. And this disconnect is so jarring that it means we have to go back and read it again to follow what actually happened. Hi, the taller one said. Blonde bangs fell in his eyes, like he was set on reproducing a boy band look. Identical red uniforms, unfamiliar golden markings across the sleeves, and a greeting in English, tourists or promoters. So the first one I marked out is the taller one said. 
Well, we need to see what she sees before they start talking. There can't be a taller one if there's no shorter one, and there can't be a shorter one if we haven't been shown them first. The second thing I highlighted out is where it says a boy band look. So I don't know anything about this world, and I didn't know if this actually made sense in this other reality. So the author did tell me, yes, it makes sense to this story. So that is no longer relevant, but it's in there because that's the type of stuff you kind of have to keep in mind as you're writing writing stories that um, it can throw the reader because we're in a different world, but then we're using um, imagery from a very modern, a very modern sense. And it, it could possibly, even if it works for the story, it could throw the reader because it feels incongruous, even if it's not. Yelena didn't twitch, taking a moment to place them. So this is, again, the sense of things not being given to the reader fast enough, like it's in the wrong order. So the character would see and react like this before she even started walking for her house, unless she couldn't see them from the transporter, in which case we should be shown when she does finally see them. Beat by beat, we need to be seeing exactly what she sees through her eyes as she sees it, because if we're told after the fact, then we just feel confused and we're, we're playing that catch up. So the character says, we're looking for Yelena Russo. He continued. We just need that to be said. Something stirred inside her, but Yelena pushed it down. She had met promoters before. Turning them down was easy. Sending her signature snort, snort their way, followed by a bored expression, would suffice. It painted her as stuck up, but why should, would that matter? She'd never stick around long enough to see their faces again. So I highlighted out the word something, because we really try and avoid thing words. Something, everything, nothing, the thing. They're really useful for building cadence and when a character is analyzing, trying to sort through missing pieces. But here it's really vague. And this could be an exception for YA again, because, you know, I, I don't know. But the term stirred inside her is typically used for Twitterpated emotions, you know, like that um, sort of a, an inner stirring. And so unless, like, love struck. So unless that's the feeling that's meant to be conveyed here, this has to be worked reworked for clarity. Now, at the point that I was highlighting this and, and marking out these notes, I did not know that the author was not a native English speaker. So I 100% ascribe these to um, it not being, a English not being the primary language. These are things that you sort of learn by listening, using the language, right? So using vague words is because of not having the stronger vocabulary and the stirring inside her would have been a, a, an English language issue. Um, still, this time, there was something unsettling in finding them at her doorstep. So here, all this way down, we finally understand she's returning to her house and we needed this much, much earlier. She wasn't someone they'd fished out of the crowd. She was a target, and that begged the question, could Adeline's cover have been blown? Now, begging the question, I just marked this out, that grammarians are going to scream at 
her for using it in this way because that's not how begging the question is used as far as I understand it. And I am so not wanting to get it wrong that I just don't even use it at all. It's safer that way. But um, begging the question is has a completely different meaning, I think. So this is more a case of double check this, make sure it's right if you're going to use it. The next line says, I'm afraid I must disappoint Yelena swallowed. And we cannot swallow words if we're speaking them. So we want to mark that out and just use said. The tense look in her eyes must be giving her away. I'm not looking to buy. And I mark this out, no pun intended, this is the wrong tense. Because we move from past tense into present tense with this sentence. The tense look in her eyes must be giving her away. Um, that's present. Everything else has been passed. So that is the end of this segment. And that's all stuff that I presented to the author and she sent me a rewrite. And when we get on to the next show, we're going to look at that rewrite again from a, a sort of a big picture perspective. And then after we have that, we will move in and, and start to rework the pieces and put them in the right order. Okay. So this is going to be at least a two-part episode, maybe three? I think it's going to be two. Okay. This is the shortest ever Hack the Craft episode. I know, and, and we have to give credit to Amelia for that because she didn't send me 1,500 words. <laughs> <laughs> it does make it easier, doesn't it? Yes. And yet there's still, a lot of, there's still a lot of good information here that we, can, that we can all use. And the idea of the sentences being turned around is is something and just the, the way that the mind has to if, if you've got to interpret something in your mind while you're reading it just slows the process down and there's a lot of a lot of value here in the show and we will have even more value next week that's right so you have to come back and see how this ends all right so again we will have uh this the video is available on patreon although i i really think you got probably most of it just from the audio. This is unlike some of the others that we've done, and the video might be more important going forward, but it's always better if you can see the words and you actually get to see Taylor's notes. And I, I have oh, a question Oh, they're so embarrassing. You. What yes. is Twitterpated? Twitterpated? That's from the movie Bambi. Um, you know when Thumper gets all Twitterpated? Um, I did not know. I thought that it was some sort of a Twitter <laughs> thing, and I'm like, what are you no. talking about? Um, you know when Thumper's <laughs> going boop, 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 really fast in the spring when they're both, yeah. you know, kind of grown up. Yeah, that's a, that's a word that comes from there. Oh, he's Twitter-pated. <laughs> All right, and we'll have new words to, that we can learn or that I can learn next week. Thank you guys so much for being here with us. We will be back again next Tuesday with part two of this episode. See you guys next week. <laughs>